This morning we'll be in Genesis chapter 42. I will read the whole text. Now Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, and Jacob said to his sons, Why are you staring at one another? He said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some from for us from that place that we may live and not die. Then ten brothers of Joseph went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, I'm afraid that harm may befall him. So the sons of Israel came to buy grain among those who were coming, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was ruler over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he disguised himself to them and spoke to them harshly. He said to them, Where have you come from? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. But Joseph recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. Joseph remembered the dreams which he had about them and said to them, You are spies! You have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. Then they said to him, No, my lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants, we're not spies. He said to them, No, but you have come to look at the undefended parts of our land. But they said, Your servants are twelve brothers in all, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is with our father, and one is no longer alive. Joseph said to them, It is I, it is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you will be tested. But a life of Pharaoh, you should not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you that he may get your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you. But if not, but a life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. Verse 17, so he put them all together in prison for three days. Now, Joseph said to them on the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined in your prison. But as for the rest of you, go, carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me so your words may be verified, and you will not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, Truly we are guilty concerning our brother, because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not tell you, do not sin against a boy? And you would not listen. Now comes the reckoning for his blood. They did not know, however, that Joseph understood that there was an interpreter between them. He turned away from them and wept. But when he returned to them and spoke to them, he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Then Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to restore every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. And thus it was done for them. So they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed from there. As one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money and behold, it was in the mouth of his sack. Then he said to his brothers, My money has been returned and behold, it is even in my sack. And their hearts sank, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan, 
They told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke harshly with us and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, We are honest men. We are not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no longer alive. And the youngest is with our father today in the land of Canaan. The man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I may know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me that I may know that you are not spies, but honest men. I will give your brother to you and you may trade in the land. Now that came back as they were emptying their sacks. But behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were dismayed. Your father Jacob said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you would take Benjamin? All these things are against me. Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, You may put my two sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. But put him in my care, and I will return him to you. But Jacob said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead. And he alone is left. If harm should befall him on the journey you are taking, then you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol and sorrow. What a chapter. We've made progress through the book of Genesis and even looking at the life of Joseph. When you look at this story, and really any story in a Bible, do you ever identify yourself with any of the characters? I would imagine you do, except maybe for Jesus. Maybe not Nebuchadnezzar. Who would you identify with here in this chapter, in this section of Scripture? In Genesis 42, who would you identify yourself with? Joseph? The ten brothers, Jacob, Benjamin, Reuben, Simeon. Who would you identify yourself with? Who are we to identify ourselves with? Remember, when this book was inspired by God, it was first given to the people of Israel, and they had been delivered out of bondage in Egypt, but quickly they returned to a life of sin. They quickly returned to a life of bondage. Many of them did. And worshipped false idols and engaged in gross immorality. And God forgave, though some were judged. God forgave and they pressed on, but even then they complained. And then even then they wouldn't reach out and receive the promises of God and be brave enough with faith to take the promised land. And so they had to wander in the wilderness for another 40 years. And then they have the book of Genesis that's given to them. And as they would be reading, they would read these stories about their patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And they would have read about the the beginning of the tribes of Israel, from Reuben all the way down to Benjamin. And I would believe that they would be drawn to identify themselves with their tribal leader, right? Whether it's Levi or Simeon or or the Danites or whoever, Judah and his tribe, I would imagine that they would be looking to see how did the head of my tribe respond? Probably very valiantly, right? We read that in Psalm 118. Probably they would have followed the Lord and been very bold for Yahweh, very faithful for Yahweh. But as we read the story of Joseph and his brothers, we see that even here, they're being tested with their honesty. And even here, they tell both Joseph and they tell Jacob, lying, even when they're saying that they are honest men, Joseph has died. Honestly, we are telling both Joseph and Jacob that Joseph has died. 
We are honest men. We are honestly telling you a lie. Is basically what they're doing. So what I am saying and trying to picture for you is that this is first given to a group of people who are proclaimed to be the very children of God. And they have even at least physically been redeemed. But yet they still need to be internally revived and even restored to God, just like these brothers of Joseph needed to be revived and restored to God. And I think that we could even say for you and I, for Israel, for these brothers of Joseph, these children of Jacob, for them to experience the, the fruitfulness and fullness of God, that they need to be restored to God. And some of you this morning, maybe you need to be restored to God. You, you might claim to know Jesus, and you perhaps know him truly, but maybe it's been years that you've wandered away from God. Not truly, not truly in your heart following him, but being like the brothers of Jacob. You're, you're li- honestly lying. We're, we're telling you the truth, but inside your heart, you're really not right with God. You just don't want to get in trouble. And probably I would even venture to say that since all of us are sinners, though redeemed sinners, that all of us have areas in our life where we are off the beaten track. That there are some areas where we need to get right with God. Not not tomorrow, but today. We need to be restored to God. And some area of our life. And so as we look at this chapter, and we'll look at it today, and then we'll look at it, we'll come back in three weeks, we'll have some resurrection type of sermons in the coming weeks. And then in about two weeks, three weeks, we'll come back and look at part two. But I think the Lord has given us this passage so we can ask the question, where do I need to be restored to God? What area of my life or what areas of my life do I need to confess, humble myself and get right with God? I think that's why this chapter is here. And I think we can say it this way. The Lord in His good providence seeks to restore His people, so humbly get right with God. And as we try to say almost every Sunday, this sermon is not for your spouse that's sitting beside you. It's for you. This sermon is not for your children, parents. It's for you, the parent. Children, this sermon is not for your parents. It's for who? It's for you. If you're five years old or four years old or 11 and you understand me, this sermon is is also for you. And it's also for who? For me. It's for the elders and the pastors. It's for us. What area do we need to admit that we're wrong, confess and get right with God, to be restored to God and in some way, so that we can experience fruitfulness and fullness and even more usefulness. So, that to say, we, we don't want to join our culture of de-evolution, always degrading, becoming less and less and less godly, more and more pagan. I can remember when I was in seminary, many, many, many years ago now, I told one student, an older student than me, and very bright, certainly smarter than me, I told him our society was pagan. And he goes, no, it's a secular society. It's not pagan. And I tried to press home the point with him that when you look at Romans 1, it's not just that our society is secular, it's that our society is what? According to Romans 1, we reject God and we worship the created. So actually our, our secular society stems out of the gutter of our paganism. I'm bringing that up to say that these brothers of Joseph lived in a pagan culture and to a large degree were intertwined to this devolved culture from the days of Noah that were still rejecting God seems that perhaps maybe Reuben and Judah 
Remember that Judas said, I, she's more righteous than me. Maybe they're making steps. It seems that they are making steps toward God to a degree. And we'll see that as we go through this sermon. So personally, corporately in a church, and nationally, we need restoration to God. And I think that's what this passage is driving home to us. And there are many, many pictures and we'll, uh, of this restoration. And we'll, maybe we'll, we'll use this idea of pathways. There, there's different pathways in this chapter to God. And there's many. We'll look at four, and we could probably come up with 12, 20, 17. There could be many different pathways. We're going to look at, I think, four this morning, and then four in two or three weeks. Again, God seeks his own people, pursues them, to restore them to himself. This must involve you and I humbly getting right with God. So the first pathway is this. You can't... Oh, and I forgot to do my stopwatch. Ha <laughs> All right. Getting longer to preach. First pathway. You can't defeat God. So humbly get right with God. You can't win. I can't win. You're not going to beat God. God is real. He's not a joke. He's not a fathom. He's not just some kind of cultural, taboo, deistic idol that somebody invented to assuage their guilt. He is real. And you can't beat him. Nobody can beat him. It doesn't matter what ruler. It doesn't matter if it's Pharaoh. It doesn't matter if it's Putin, Trump, whatever, uh, Biden. It doesn't matter whatever world leader, you can put them all together, every single leader that's ever lived, and even put them together with all the angels, fallen and unfallen, nobody is ever going to beat God, ever, ever, ever. And so you might as well give up and get right with God. And this is what we see in this passage. And I think it's very clear. In fact, we see in Scripture that there is a true sense in which when man rebels against God, yes, God is grieved about that, but there's also another side of that, that God laughs. There's a true sense in which man rebels against God that a reaction, a response that God has is one of a type of derision. A type of, <laughs> you're really funny. Like I'm threatened by you. <laughs> there is a true sense of that happening. Psalm 2, it says the Lord laughs. He scoffs at them. Because they've said in Psalm 2, we take God's fetters, we take his binds, and we just toss them down to the ground and break them. We don't want you, we don't need you, God. And God, what is God's response? Well, one response is he sends the Messiah to love and, and to save sinful men, all those who believe in him and trust him will be saved. But there's also a sense in which God is... <laughs> you're so funny. Don't you know that your disobedience and rejection of me is only going to end up in f- fulfilling my purpose? Man can't win. Angels can't win. Nothing in creation can beat God. Nothing. And so let me explain this point and show, you to, show it to you here in Scripture. Look at verse 6. And the words that should have stood out to us when, when we read should have been, And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Why did Joseph's brothers put him in a pit? Why did they attempt and plan basically to murder him? And then they abused him. And then they thought, hey, you know what? We could murder him and not gain any profit. Let's instead traffic him into slavery. And then we can make money off of our brother that we hate. Why did they do that? Well, one of the reasons why, at least what ignited this, was because he told them a dream. A dream about what? 
one day, my brothers, all of you are going to bow down to me. This is a dream that God gave me. This is what God is saying. And this was before the word of God, that external inspired scripture was written and handed to Israel. And there were times that God would speak through dreams to his people. The response of the brothers were not, hmm, we need to talk about this and to verify that what you're saying is true because God at times does speak through dreams to his people. Not now, but he did then. But instead, what did they do? Let's kill him. God should choose us. He's the youngest brother. We're the oldest brothers. It should be one of us that people bow down to. Let's get rid of him. Not only are we going to toss him into a pit, we're going to get him as far away from us as possible so this never happens. As a result of their great wickedness, what happened? Their act of evil sat in motion, as it were, the very dream that they rejected. Their wickedness to stop God's plan further propelled the plan of God. That's why this is here in this passage, verse 8. But Joseph had recognized his brothers, although they did not recognize him. And it's interesting because he says, you are spies, when actually they told him, you've come out here to spy on us, back in Genesis, I think it was 37. But now the shoe has been switched to the other foot. They rejected God by rejecting this mouthpiece of God back in Genesis 37, this dream that God gave Joseph. They were not just rejecting Joseph, they were rejecting God's will through Joseph. They sought to kill him, and then decided to make money off of him, did the worst thing possible. They trafficked, besides murdering him, they, they sold him into bondage, but that actually ended up propelling, being part of, unfolding the providential story of God by which enabled Joseph to be second in command of all of Egypt and they're bowing down. Their plan to get rid of Joseph actually helped Joseph to be in power so that they would actually bow down to him. It's Psalm 33.10, which it says the plans of God are not frustrated, but nations are frustrated by the counsel and plan of God. So first, this first pathway is that we should get right with God humbly because you can't win. You might now be planning uh, all kinds of actions of uh, sin in your mind against God. Maybe against your family, against your parents, against kids, whatever it is. That's very unwise. People get away with sin for a while. But eventually, as we sang this morning, face to face, face to face, we will meet God. But even in this life, God has a plan and has a purpose. And all of our scheming to commit sin and to deceive others and to go against God and His Word is not going to end up in our blessing. It's going to end up and in some way ruining us, but actually propelling that very plan and purpose of God. So when we think about this and we seek to apply this, just two brief applications. First, you should encourage yourself that nobody can hinder God's plan for your life. Did Joseph's brothers hinder God's plan for Joseph? No. The brothers of Joseph did the worst that they could do to him, except murdering him. But that actually ended up fulfilling, being part of the fulfillment, helping the fulfillment of God's plan for Joseph. If God is for you, who can be against you? The greatest example of this, of course, is Jesus Christ. 
Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Pharisees, the Romans, Judas, for money, for a type of political safety, so we can remain in power, let's kill Jesus. Let's kill this man that says he's the Christ. And so they killed him. Right? Satan filled Judas. And so Judas went and betrayed Christ. And all of that ended up doing what? Bringing the greatest victory they could ever possibly imagine. The, the betrayal, crucifixion of Christ led to the resurrection of Christ, which conquered sin and death and hell forever and forever and forever. Right? Satan scheming to do his worst actually led to the defeat of Satan. <laughs> That's how powerful God is. Nobody can stand in the way of God's plan for your life. Nobody. Nobody. Second, then, and we mentioned this already, but just to press it a little bit further, your resistance to the Lord is futile. Resistance is futile to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has won, is winning, and will win. Well, then what, what do we do? We, we ask the Lord to forgive us. First John 1 John 1.7 says, The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So repent and get right with God because he wins. His plan will be fulfilled. Now, second, there is also this second pathway. And again, there's many, and we see these in this chapter. The second pathway is basically integrity. That is, your integrity is important to God. Therefore, uh, humbly get right with God. God prizes our integrity because he has the most fidelity and faithfulness and honesty and trustworthiness in the universe. So again, let me explain this. To say it in one sentence, Joseph's brothers were liars. Joseph's brothers were liars. Again, you can just see here in the passage, verse 31, but we said to him, we are honest men, we're not spies. For uh, Verse 32, one is no longer alive. How do they know that? Is that remotely true? No. Even to Joseph, right? They're standing before Joseph, and I, we can imagine, I guess, he had shaved his head, maybe had that Egyptian beard, wearing white and blue and gold, and he's speaking in Egyptian. Would that be Coptic? And yet he can understand them. Maybe, I don't know, would he have the black, you know, some of the Egyptian men back in the ancient times had the black like eye makeup. Maybe he's looking totally Egyptian. They have no idea. And they're saying, yeah, our, our uh, second thing is brother. He's dead. And he's saying, you really need to be honest men. And they're like, we're being completely honest with you. Com- completely. Have you ever done that to somebody? Where somebody confronts you and says, is this true? I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth. I did not do that. But yet, you're just a stone-cold liar. Have you done that as a Christian? I know you have. I know you have. I have. No redeemed were fallen. And here are the brothers of Joseph. And it's, we can read this, and at first when I read it, I can just be like, man, they are disgusting. Bunch of liars. When's the last time you lied? When is the last time I lied? And if you look at this passage and just look at how many times, right, it's talked about honesty, you can look from verses 18 to 21. Verse uh, 19, uh, honest men. Verse 20, that your words may be verified. Verse 21, they say together, actually we are guilty. (laughs) But they're saying this to themselves, thinking that Joseph does not understand them. 
this whole time, Joseph is seeking to, and even tells them, to test them, to to verify that have they changed at all? Are, are they going to be honest? Are they even going to say that they sold their brother? Right? He's second in command of Egypt. He can't just go get all of his brothers and say, hey, I love you guys. You guys are awesome. Come be part of Egypt. Why? Because they traffic. Because they committed genocide. Remember? Because they're not good people. So he's responsible to care for the Egyptians. And he's a type of divine agent of God. And so he's... I gotta see exactly what's going on with these guys. They're not the best people. Are they honest? And we can see with Joseph and with Jacob, you know, they're, they're not honest with them. It seems they're honest with themselves in verse 21, but yet they've yet to fully make that complete step to where Maybe our brother is dead. Maybe he's not. We did something really terrible. And how long has it been? Have you ever told a lie like that? And maybe you've lived in that lie for decades and then 20 plus years. And we'll talk about it later. But when you lie like this, your conscience can do what? It torments you. Because you can see, as soon as they hear about Egypt in verse 1, now Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt. I can imagine that Jacob is talking, look, Egypt has grain. Go down to Egypt and get some grain. And all of them, all of their eyes must have been what? They're looking at one another. Crud. I'm not going to go to Egypt. We sold Joseph to Egypt. Don't look up. Don't look up. Don't look up. Don't look at him in his eyes. Don't. I, I can't look at that. God prizes honesty and God prizes integrity because God doesn't lie. Jesus never lied. And as Christians, we grow and we pursue truthfulness and we seek to put lies behind us, but there is always growth that we can have. We can become more and more truthful in our life. Now, I have to bring this up just briefly. At least it initially bothered me. When you read this text and you read about Joseph, it even says in the text that he spoke harshly to them. Is Joseph himself here having truthfulness and integrity? Shouldn't Joseph say... My brothers, I love you. I forgive you. I forgive you all that you did to me. Look at what God has done. I'm here. I can take care of you. I love you. I'm Joseph. Why, why did he wait so long? Isn't he also bad? Certainly, he's a sinner. But there are many things, I think, that are going on here. And one is what I mentioned is that he's second in command of Egypt, and he has a responsibility to care for the Egyptian citizens. And he can't just invite in a whole people group that has committed such atrocities. So he's being careful for Egypt. Also, secondly, and we mentioned this, he has seen the providence of God in his life. He has as though been a mouthpiece for God. He's a type of divine agent for God. And he knows that God is doing something with him. Even Pharaoh says, and it's the first time I believe this is said in Scripture, that the Spirit of the Lord is with or in a person. That is Joseph. And so Joseph, as this divine agent of God, is seeking by God's grace to restore his brothers, the chosen people of God, back to the Lord. And sometimes that just can't be poof, like that. Even in a relationship with a person, there could be instant forgiveness, but that reconciliation can take what? It can take a long time. 
And so Joseph here, who is acting in wisdom, is seeking to be careful about not just ignore all these criminal activities that his brothers committed. It wasn't like his big brother said, you know, you're a jerk. It wasn't that his big brother just kicked him in the knee. They committed crimes. And so he has to be careful. And so I think for those reasons, we can be a little gracious or lenient with Joseph. It's not that he's seeking to deceive his brothers for profit or to be mean to them. He tosses them in prison. Was that wrong? Legally and righteously, what should happen to his brothers? They were going to kill him. They threw him in a pit and sold him. They should be in prison <laughs> for a long time. So actually, Joseph was what? Gracious to them. He was gracious to them. He was loving to them. He was kind to them, actually. Because he's second in charge of, e- of Egypt. And he could have said, oh, I know these guys. They're evil. Kill them. And without question, they would have been killed. Without question. So actually, he was kind. And acting as this divine agent of God. Because I, I think he realized that he has a true relationship with God, and it's important to have a type of truthfulness, and so that's something he wants to pursue with them. Are these? Can I verify that they even love Simeon? Are they even going to come back for Simeon? He puts money in their sacks. Are they going to keep the money? Forget about Simeon. We got money. Who's going to go back and get Simeon? We left Joseph. We sold him. Who cares about Simeon? Simeon, he's a villain anyways. Forget about Simeon. There's still nine or ten of us left. Joseph has to verify that these men are honest. And in the same way, God, even more so, values our integrity, our honesty. And if we really want to have fruitfulness and fullness in our life, then we're going to have to put lying aside and be men and women, young men and women of truthfulness of honesty, both with life and with word. And if we have not done that, then we need to repent. Or if we have backed off from that, then we need to repent of that, get right with God, confess that. And again, First John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. As it says in First John 2, 2, He is our propitiation. And not just ours, but for anyone who comes to him and says, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. His death on the cross can, can cover and cleanse anybody that will come and trust him. Even for lies. There's more pathways. There's a third pathway. And as I said, there's many pathways that we see here. And it's the same with all of our lives, Right? There's nobody here who, on their own, can stand up before God and say, Lord, I have so much integrity that I know when you're going to get to heaven, you're going to say, because your integrity, I let you into my kingdom. It's the only person that God can say that to is who? Christ. That, that's the only person. That's the only person. And so that's why we need a Savior. However, these are areas that God wants to see us to grow in so we can have fruitfulness and fullness with Him and have a relationship with Him that's, that's, that's growing, that's improving. And there's many of these different pathways because these brothers have many different issues, as we have many different issues. We do. I do. The third pathway is this. Your loving care is also important and restoration, so humbly get right with God. Loving others is important. 
Jesus said that the second greatest commandment in the word is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Though we don't see the word love here, we do see a picture, as I mentioned, of love. Of the brothers not loving Jacob. I'm sorry, of the brothers not loving Joseph. But now the brothers, in some ways, loving Benjamin, Jacob, and Simeon. For money, they sold Joseph, betrayed him. Judas, for money, betrayed Jesus. Loving profit over relationship. And when we see here in this text, like verse 20, so that your words may be verified, and they did so, Joseph seems to be, as the text says, testing them. Again, verse 15, by this you'll be tested. That not only are they being honest with their words, but what are they going to do about Simeon? Remember, he says, he, verse 17, he puts them all in prison for three days. But then he lets them all go. He turns and weeps because he has love for them. He cares for them. This is Joseph that they were going to kill, that they threw into a pit. He pleaded with them. You can see this in the word. Verse 21, let me out, let me out. Don't, don't do this, please. I'm your brother. Don't treat me this way, please. This is wrong. Please, I, I beg you, let me free. I'm hurt. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. Please, don't, don't send me away. And they sold him. He seized them after 20 years. What would you do? I think I would kill them all. I think I would. At least put them in prison for the rest of their lives. What does he do? He weeps. Why? I think he loves them. He loves them. If somebody did all this crazy stuff to you, would you weep over them? He hears them talking about the, the guilt they have, and he weeps for them. And my thinking, I would say, you better feel guilty. You should feel tons of guilt. How, how dare you? But he weeps for them. And I think in verse 24, he gives them a picture of binding, binding Simeon. I think it's a picture of, look, this is basically how you treated me. Now, what will you do for Simeon? Will you come back for him? And they do. So there is this synergistic dynamic here of, of love and integrity and faithfulness, humility and guilt that's all being played in this passage, are they going to love? Joseph, we see, is loving them. Are they going to love Simeon? Are they going to love their father? We even see Reuben being crazy. Reuben needs to grow. Reuben is saying nonsensical things that are outrageous. Oh, you know what? You can kill my two sons. What? Why we? That's not right, Reuben. Why would you ever say that? It's right to go and seek to bring Benjamin to him, to Joseph, to the second command, and it's right to want to protect Benjamin, and right to go back for Simeon. But these brothers are still mixed up in their head. What are you talking? They're still part of this culture. And so I think this passage is trying to show Israel that is receiving the word. There are many of these areas you need to grow in. One is this loving care and compassion, whether it's for Jacob, whether it's for Benjamin, whether it's for Simeon, whether it's for Joseph or Joseph toward them. You need to improve. <laughs> and loving care. And, of course, so do we. Now, I've been saying the humble Humble, you know, we need to be humble, we need to humbly get right with God. Why use the word humble? Because I think 
my temptation, at least, is, especially if I hear about love, loving care, well, my, my first temptation is to say, yeah, I'm going to pull out my list. I, I have it on my cell phone. My loving care list. Not people I need to love and care for, but how have I not been lovingly cared for? So when I say a way that we need to get restored to God is our loving care, is the first image in your mind that that's right, people don't love me? Or is it, I need to do a better job loving others? If it's, you know what, people don't really love me, then you're being selfish and self-centered. The Christian life, and even life, but especially the Christian life, is not about you being loved. It's not. Marriage is not about you being loved. And marriage, as soon as you start thinking, my spouse is not loving me, they don't love me, they don't love me, they don't love me, they don't love me. When you got married, you didn't say, I commit to allow you to love me. I pledge to allow you to love me every day. Period. It was, I commit to love you till I die. Right? Same thing with friendship and relationship. It's not about love me, love me, love me, love me more. But it's about loving others because we've already been filled with the love of God. And I do believe that this is what the Lord is seeking to teach these brothers and to teach Jacob. And Joseph, it seems, not that he's arrived and he's there, but he's pursuing loving others. Because he sees his brothers and he's not, I'm going to kill all of you. I'm going to put you in prison, not for three days, but for 30 years. Oh, he loves them. He's weeping over them. That's loving care and compassion. Even he gives them what? He doesn't just give them the grain. He restores to them every man's money in his sack. That's love. They mistreated him like we probably will never, most likely, be mistreated. His response was, he weeps, he loves them, he puts them in prison for three days. There, that needs to happen in a sense that they have committed crimes against humanity, against him, but they have committed crimes of humanity, they committed genocide, but he loves them, he blesses them, gives them grain, and even gives their money back to them. Even when they're being tested, and even when there's this long road of restoration, he still is good to them. That's love. Can you and I love that way? What's the standard of our love? I mean, how far do we go toward loving somebody else? What did Jesus say? As I have loved you, so must you love one another. Which means we lay down our life for one another. Is that something that we're able to do? Not, No, not, not in our own power, but 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of self-control. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is what? What's the fruit of the Spirit? Is the first word love? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. That's a work of the Spirit of God. Can you squash your selfishness and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I, I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be useful to you. I want to glorify you. May this new spirit that you've given me, may I be obedient to, to you and make no excuses and seek not to be loved, but to love. And that is walking after Christ. And that will give us fruitfulness and, and faithfulness. I was convicted the other day. One of my children came to me and gave me a challenge about a certain area of loving others. One of my children, Dad, I've noticed this. Can you stop doing this? Don't talk to me that way. I'm your daddy. No, I didn't say it. I did in the past. <laughs> Not this time. I needed to listen to that. Who's an 11-year-old to tell me that I need to do a better job of loving somebody? 
but the words that are spoken were true. There's a, another pathway that we'll look at this morning. Then we'll stop here this morning. These different pathways that we need to think about. It, it's as if you're driving down the freeway, uh, somewhat here, even more so in some different cities. That is, you can be in L.A. or, or Dallas or even Orlando, I think, especially different places in India, and, and there's freeways everywhere. I mean, I've counted, I think it was in L.A., it's like eight or ten, like over-connecting freeways, right? <laughs> this is almost what you have here in this chapter. You have all these pathways of all these different routes and avenues, all these different things that are going on with the brothers of Joseph, all these different things in their life, which is true for you and I. Do you just have one issue? It's like if somebody comes to me and say, do, do you have an issue? No, I have issues. Do you have an issue or do you have, we have issues in our life. It's true. And so do these brothers. We're like them, but we're not like them, correct? <laughs> Number four, this fourth pathway. And this goes more with, with Jacob. To be really restored to God in terms of, yes, saved, but as a believer, pursuing him with all that we have, seeing the fruitfulness and fullness and that peace of walking with him, it involves also refusing to believe the lies. Don't believe the lies. Refuse to believe the lies. Notice this with, with Jacob. And maybe you saw this in the text, and I was trying to read the text in such a way to bring out the truth of the text, the emphasis of the text. I tried to read it in such a way to bring that out. Look at verse 36. Their father Jacob said to them, the sons of the brothers of Joseph, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Not true. Simeon is no more. Not true. <laughs> One lie, two lie. Second lie. And then what does he say? Look at the text. All these things are against me. Everything is bad. Have you ever done that? Everything is terrible. This day stinks. You might say a different word. Life stinks. God is against me. Nobody loves me. Everything is wrong. I'm a loser. It's all hopeless. I'm doomed. God has turned his back against me. Everything is going to go wrong. It's all, and I say this with sanctification, it's all going to hell. Literally. But Jacob... Really, he's not speaking truth and he's not believing truth. And some of it, some of their problem is that he's been what about Joseph? He's been lied to. He's been lied to. Maybe he should have done more investigation. But certainly, he doesn't know if Simeon is dead or not. And he's saying, when it says all, look at verse 36, it's that everything is against me. Is that true? Have you ever seen the angel of the Lord? Have you ever seen heaven open up and, and all, all these angels on it and, and really the celestial glory of heaven? Ha, have you ever seen that? I haven't. I, I think that would be pretty awesome to see. That happened to, to Jacob. Jacob was one of the leaders of the chosen people of God. He had the covenants of God. He actually had many other children and at least one daughter. He was very rich. He had lots of livestock. So is he really believing truth? No. He's listened to the lies of his heart and the lies of the world and lies of Satan. 
And if we do that, we can get bitter, we can get resentful, we despair, and then we back off from God. What lies are you believing? Are you believing truth or are you believing lies? I mean, the, the propaganda from the world and from Satan about who God is and about who you are are filled with lies. And we have to fight that by submerging ourselves, our minds and our hearts into the truth of God's word. We don't want to be too hard on Jacob because I think we all to agree believe lies that we need to overcome. But Jacob should have said, by the grace of God, I'm part of the covenant of God. By the grace of God, I saw this this angel of the Lord and I even wrestled with the angel of the Lord. He is with me and for me. I'm not understanding what's going on. I, I don't understand. But I do know, if God is for me, who can be against me? Let's all go to Egypt and get Simeon in the name of Yahweh. My son's behind me. The Lord's in front of me. Let's go. I think that's what he should have said. But when we believe lies, we despair and get dejected and make poor choices and say wrong things. But God's grace, let us believe the truth. We start with that Romans 8.28. Is that true or untrue? God causes all things to work together for good for those that love God and call according to His purpose. All things in this context means all. Okay, I, I believe that. That's true. Nothing shall separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 38 and 39. I believe that that's true. Romans 8, 18. That this suffering that I have now is going to result in a far exceeding weight of glory for me in heaven. Praise God. Praise God. He that began a good work in me will perfect me into that day. Thank you, Jesus. That Jesus will return this blessed hope that I'm waiting for and I'll see him face to face and then I'll be like him. That's what I believe is true. If God is for me, who can be against me? And so we believe these truths from God's word. And that helps us then to be restored with God through Christ because we're believing the truth of God and not the truth of Satan, the truth of the world. These, these, not truth, these lies. So then, back to the beginning. Who do you identify yourself with in this true story? There's a certain sense in which I think God calls us to identify with Joseph, with the brothers, and with Jacob, with all of them. What areas of these pathways do you need to grow in? I think we need to grow in in all of them. But the question I would ask is, are you, with all your heart, pursuing God with all that you are, or are you just casually pursuing God, allowing pockets of resistance in your life? I think this passage is given to you and it's given to me in order for us to humble ourselves and get right. That areas that we see in our life, we take care of now. That we don't have to go through this hard time of restoration that the brothers of Joseph go through. It's a hard time of restoration for them. They are going to get restored to God to one degree or another. But sometimes these pathways of restoration back to God, are they always pleasant? They're not always pleasant. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that sometimes God takes you to the woodshed. And I think he's doing that with these brothers. But God's grace, let us repent and humbly get right with God through Christ now, that we can be restored to him and have usefulness and fruitfulness. The long road of restoration can end today. Repent and get right with God through Christ. Please, by God's grace. If you don't know Jesus, ask Jesus today to forgive you of your sin. 
If you know Christ, but you've backed off from pursuing him, please make today the day that you return to Christ and pursue him with all of your heart. God will give you the grace through Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would work in us by the power of your spirit, that we would be willing to make changes necessary, Lord, in our integrity and believing lies and loving others and bowing down to your your omnipotent, unstoppable plan, Lord. May we realize that you pursue your people out of love, out of care. And may we be responsive to your pursuit, Lord. Do your work and your people, and we give thanks, Lord. Amen.